Welcome back to Psych Your Crime, and I'm your host, Nicole Mann. Like always, I just want to thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I see we have some listeners joining us from Spain. Thank you so much. Uh, I always, always say that I never thought that there'd be anybody but my family, and I do mean that. Um, I just thought maybe I'd have a couple of episodes and that would be it. So the fact that there are people from all over the world listening, I really, really appreciate it. So um, this week, we are going to look at a very complicated case. It happened here um, in the state that I live in, and it involves medical neglect, um, a type of Munchausen that I think most people are not aware of. And um, just a very complicated situation that has an ending that I think most people never would have seen. Um, and a lot of people got involved that didn't really need to get involved. So children that have medical complexity or they're often referred to as CMCs are at risk for something called over-medicalization. Um, Overmedicalization is often considered a type of Munchausen, um, which can be a form of child abuse. There are multiple diagnoses, multiple complexities, and multifunctions, uh, multifunctional limitations require providers to partner with their parents for their care. Even in the context of shared decision making, overmedicalization and medical child abuse can occur. Recent findings define overmedicalization and medical child abuse as related to the care of CMCs that it presents strategies to prevent, identify, and address shared provider parent decision making to try and review ethical principles that can guide shared decision making. Basically, what happens is when doctors and parents have to come together to try and come up with the best decisions for the caregiving for a child that has very complex uh, medical issues, what will happen is the doctor will present like a multi-strategy solution. Like he'll say, he might start with the low end and he may say something like, like antibiotics or steroids. And then in the middle end, it might be something like non-invasive, like physiotherapy or something. And then the high end would be something preventative, but very extreme, like surgery. Now, over-medicalization parents always take the extreme angle. So they're the parents who would get a surgery to prevent something that's invasive instead of the media, oh, let's do physical therapy you know, the stuff that's non-invasive and non-life-changing. So while they are working with a doctor to make these decisions and the doctor's presenting them multiple options, you do have to question why are they choosing the most invasive and the most extreme? In the context of over-medicalization, it is not something that's considered to be malicious. It's why oftentimes when Munchausen by proxy that is over-medicalization is present, it it's not a situation where they think that the child, they don't think they're trying to hurt the child. 
They think that they, they believe they're choosing the best possible thing for their child. It's not like other types of Munchausen where they're doing it for money or they're doing it for attention. They're truly doing what they think is in the best interest of their child, but many times their decision-making is skewed because all they are focusing on is the physical aspect of their children's complex medical cases. And that brings us to the second uh, psychological piece of this situation, which is somatoform disorder. Also known as somatic symptom disorder or psychosomatic disorder, it is a mental health condition that causes an individual to experience physical bodily symptoms in response to a psychological distress. Yes, psychosomatic things is actually real. It's not just something people make up in movies in order to plot point things away. It is a real thing that happens within psychology. Young people particularly find it difficult to express their feelings. And because of this, it is likely that psychological distress is expressed as physical symptoms. In light of this, it is thought that up to 10% of children in Britain that complain of aches and pains, stomach aches, joint pains, headaches, are actually given a diagnosis of medically unexplained symptoms. It also impacts a larger proportion of adults who attend the general practitioner, or what we call the family practitioner in the United States. The mind and the body are very much connected, and there are many ways in which psychological and physiological symptoms interact. For patients who repeatedly present with somatoform disorder symptoms that are medically unexplained, it is vital to consider the underlying psychological issues. This could include the presence of coexisting disorders such as anxiety, separation, school phobias, eating disorders, depression, selective mutism. There are different types of somatoform disorder, including chronic fatigue syndrome and dissociative disorder, which you can read about in several different kinds of articles. There are different ways of managing your disorder that include individual psychological work with a therapist, family systems therapy, sleep hygiene management and dietary advice, medication. Family systems therapy is a big one. A lot of times things like this are triggered by the way that your family dynamic is, like the way that your family deals with problems, the way that your family fights, the way that your family uh, and you may have one family member, a really good example is like if you're, you have one family member who is an addict and your family's, the way that they deal with stuff is to all come together to pile up on that person and try and fix that person. And that person gets better and they no longer all have to jump on that person and try and get them to fix their life. And you start to panic because you're afraid now they're going to do the same to you and you don't want all these people in your life and in your face and you're starting to panic and your form of an anxiety attack is you're starting to have health issues. So to make that go away, you start to sabotage your brother's recovery. And then your health system starts to get better because you know if he relapses, they won't be all over you. That would be family systems therapy. You need to fix your family system so that you know that they're not going to attack you and you're not going to get triggered and you're not to feel like you have to attack somebody else in order to stop that anxiety that's driving that behavior. 
Yay, family systems work. <laughs> Your family drama actually manifests physically on you. To, um, and you can read more about any of these types of things, individual therapy, family systems therapy, sleep hygiene management, um, because a lot of times when you have sleep behaviors, it is a resemblance of things that are happening in your life and stress. So most sleep behaviors are driven by stress and you can find information on all that stuff on the internet. Um, I will link the best like CDC links for each of these. Um, types of somatoform disorder. It is important to remember that it is a mental health disorder. This is actually in uh, the DSMV-5. Um, it can present itself in different ways. This includes persistent somatoform pain, predominant complaint is persistent, severe, and distressing. It cannot be explained by physiological process or physical disorders. It is an occurrence with and associated to emotional conflict or psychological problems, meaning like, uh, say someone is getting bullied. Say they only get sick or they only feel the pain when they have to confront their bully. So the kid who only gets a stomach ache when they gotta go to school, you know, um, the person who never wanted to play football. So whenever they have to go to a little league football practice, they suddenly get sick, you know, emotional conflict. That's whenever it happens. The result is usually a marked increase in support and attention, either personal or medical. Dissociative conversion disorder, a partial or complete loss of normal integration between memories of the past and awareness of your identity. Immediate sensations and control of your bodily movements. Medical examinations do not reveal the presence of any known physiological or neurological disorders. There is evidence of clear association in time with stressful life events and problems. Like once again, you right as your parents are getting a divorce, like anytime your parents like say your dad comes to pick you up and immediately you vomit because you know your mom and your dad need some time together. You have physiological responses in order to create opportunities. Possibility of a later appearance of a serious physical or psychiatric disorders should always be kept in mind. Chronic fatigue syndrome. Persistent distressing complaints of increased fatigue after any mental efforts. So basically, if you exert any mental efforts at all, suddenly you're exhausted. I tried. I tried to get along with my brother. Now I have to go pass out on the couch. It was so hard, Mom. Why did you make me do it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not what they mean at all. I just know that is what most people, mean. most of you will mean. They mean that the fatigue comes um, basically whenever you have to interact with people that are difficult. Persistent distressing complaints of bodily weakness, exhaustion after minimal efforts. At least two of these muscular aches or pains, dizziness, tension headaches, again, tension headaches for all kinds of reasons, sleep disturbance, inability to relax, irritability. This is just anxiety. <laughs> that's literally just anxiety. That's all that is. You just, that's, that's the literal description of anxiety. <laughs> that's all that is. Autonomic or depressive symptoms present are not sufficiently persistent and severe enough to fulfill the criteria of any 
are more basically that just says you can't find a diagnosis you can't be diagnosed just say undiagnosable it does not need 17 sentences just say undiagnosable considerable cultural variations occur in the presentations oh yeah so like basically they're saying a Canadian will present completely different than somebody who is from Ireland who will present completely different than somebody who is Swedish who will present somebody completely different than somebody who is from the Caribbean is basically what they're saying yeah whereas if it's a real actual disorder the presentation for the most part should be the same there's only like a handful of disorders that culturally are affected and it's not the disorder it's like things that have psychopathies to them the psychopathies can be affected culturally but not the actual disorder itself if that makes sense so like the way that it is enacted the way it acts itself out is affected but not the actual disorder itself there are many different reasons why someone could develop somatoform disorder these fall into three main categories individual experience of physical illness traits of vulnerability sensitive personality concerns about peer relationships high achievement and orientation family includes physical mental health problems parental somnization emotional over involvement limited emotional vocabulary environment includes academic pressure teasing bullying recognizing a patient with somatoform disorder can be difficult main clinical features of this condition include Persistent abdominal pain, headaches, joint pain, uh, poor concentration, dizziness, moodiness, continual worrying over decreasing health symptoms, uh, onset of acute flu-like illness or glandular fever, complete loss of bodily sensation or movements, loss or disturbance of motor function, pseudo-seizures, seizures that do not have the typical features of epileptic seizures and are not accompanied by abnormal EEGs. In other words, fake seizures. <laughs> Symptoms usually occur after a traumatic event and last for a few weeks or months. Generally occurs more commonly in females than males. Symptoms usually start in childhood or early adolescence. Abdominal pains are more common in younger children while headaches will affect older children and adolescents. And conversion symptoms tend to occur around the age of 16. Surveys from various countries have found that approximately one in four children complain of at least one set of somatic symptoms weekly. Oh my God, we were some lying little assholes. Wow. Okay then. Wow. No wonder they had to put it in the DSM-5. Wow. Consider that a child has a somatoformic disorder if there is a time relationship between psychosocial stressors and physical symptoms. The nature and severity of the symptom or its resulting handicap is out of keeping with the pathophysiology. <sighs> Big word there. There is a concurrent psychiatric disorder. Your general practitioner or in the United States, your family practitioner or pediatricians are likely to be the first a call for most children reassurance that there is no treatable medical disorder will often relieve concerns enough for the child to improve without the need for further intervention however sometimes symptoms can persist refer to mental health services needs to be done in a sensitive manner with acknowledgement of the symptoms 
As many children and families in these circumstances might fear that they're not being taken seriously and that a referral to mental health services means that their physical symptoms are not being believed. Yes. Thank you. Psychiatric assessment would include developmental and psychiatric history being taken, detailed school history being investigated, mental health examination, and it is important to consider that sending a patient for a psychiatric assessment if physical symptoms suggest a medical condition. However, there is no medical disease, substance misuse, or other mental health disorder found that can account for these symptoms. The symptoms cause significant distress or impairment to social, occupational, or other areas of functioning. It's really important if you have like a teenage person and they are starting to lose motor function, they, it's, it's starting to impact them in such a way that they cannot independently live. That's a huge deal because they're getting to the point where they should be preparing to move on with their life. And if, if they're actually moving backwards in their progression of life, then yes, you should be really, really concerned. Physical symptoms that are not intentionally produced, the patient often resists attempts to discuss the possibility of psychological steps. General management of strategies for practitioners, make an effort to understand the family's beliefs about the illness, however convinced they may be, and how they feel about referrals to mental health, do not question the reality of their symptoms. Acknowledge that the illness is disrupting the patient's life and affecting the family's functioning. Discuss physical concerns, results of physical investigations, and physiological mechanisms contributing to the symptoms, including any contractions caused by immobilization. Because when you sit in a wheelchair for a long enough time and you don't move and you don't walk, you're, you're, and you have mobility, you have the ability to walk, and yeah, you're gonna have, you're gonna kick, you're, you're gonna move irregardless, because you can't. So like, it's, it's like when you get a cramp, that's basically is what's happening. So yeah, you're gonna have to bring that up. Inform a family about the high prevalence of this, as it might be reassuring about the absence of an organic cause. By reassuring and being non-judgmental when informing the parents about a diagnosis of somatoform and other psychiatric disorders. Emphasize that it may take time to recover, but the majority of young people do it very well if they receive the correct treatment. Assessment and initial treatment is usually initiated by a practitioner or pediatrician. It is recommended to use the biopsychosocial framework. It is the framework for all mental health work. And when the symptoms do not improve, the psychiatric referral should be made. So, um, as you, you can tell, I definitely got this from the mental health care uh, website because a practitioner website. Um, so, the reason, obviously, um, we are going to talk about the Justina Pelletier case. Um, in 2013, uh, Justine Pelletier was actually in Tufts Hospital in uh, Connecticut and they had a snowstorm. She's 12 years old and they were understaffed. So her parents did not believe she was getting the attention and care that she needed. And so they decided to take her against medical advice out and home. Now she had just been diagnosed with a very rare mitochondrial disorder. Um, so 
they were concerned and she did get sick she spiked the temperature so instead of taking her back to the nearby tufts they actually drove her from connecticut to boston children's hospital because the doctor who was the most familiar with her had just taken a job at boston children's hospital now her parents lou and linda they claimed that boston's children's hospital knew that she was coming that they had told tufts and tufts supposedly called and that the doctor was aware uh, Boston Children says they did not know so they arrived and Boston Children's did what any good hospital would do they examined her when they examined her even though they had been told that she had mitochondrial disorder their belief was that she actually had you guessed it somatoform disorder so now once again the parents are upset because they're not hearing what they want to hear and they want to discharge her. However, Boston Children's is not having that. Boston Children's refuses to discharge Justina and they also call child services. So they call child services and file what is called a 51A. So in the state of Massachusetts, whenever anybody calls child services the form that is filled out is a 51a form and so the hospital filed for um, medical neglect due to over medicalization they were concerned that lou and linda were doing too much to extra uh, stuff that she did not need and that um it actually was causing her to have this um, rare disorder that now she was sicker than she should be because at the time that she got to Boston Children's, she had gotten to a point where she could not walk and she could not even brush her teeth and she's 12 years old. And there's no reason that she should be this bad. They can find no actual physical reason for her condition to be like this so they believe that the parents over medicalizing her and taking her to so many doctors and doing and always picking like the worst case scenario of treatments for her has convinced her that she's much sicker than she is and she's actually started manifesting symptoms so the fact to the parent where now she cannot walk and she can't feed herself she she is just basically completely immobile so that's why they're charging that it's medical neglect that it's munchausen they're basically charging over medicalization they had no idea what that meant they they were blindsided with what that was but they immediately took to the press and painted themselves as these you know all-american parents next door we're just these poor people who trusted this hospital with our child and now they won't let us have her and suddenly their visits with her were limited she had like they went from they went all the way down to once weekly then they were monitored and then it was only over the phone um it was over the computer then it was only over the phone um, and the reason that was, and they even admit it, is that they were, at first they were straight up telling her not to listen, to, to cooperate with any of the doctors. 
Then they actually started smuggling her notes. Then they started make, leaving using coded language, meaning they were uh, telling her stuff in ways to get the message through that they didn't want her to trust or cooperate with anybody, but they weren't outright saying it. So that really, for me, tells you everything you need to know. I have worked in case management. I have had to call child services on people. I've said this before, I never ever hide. I always tell people beforehand, unless it's an emergency situation. And even then I try and tell them because I don't want them to, I've seen what happens when you call anonymously and people do get vindictive and they try and get revenge. And if they don't know who it is, they'll just blindly do it to who they believe it is and destroy someone else's life. So, you know, it is important if you're a mandated reporter, you have to report. Even if you don't think that child services is going to act, you still have to do it because you, what you're doing is you're creating a paper trail. So that when something like this happens and it hits the fan, there's a history. It's important. It's incredibly important. So they file with the 51A so that they can um, try and keep her there so that her mental health can be taken care of because they feel that the parents don't seem to care enough um, they're not interested in dealing with that piece and it is become concerning to them because she clearly needs to take care of her mental health um, they win they are awarded custody both child child services awarded custody and so they put her in the care of the hospital um, they don't really want her at the hospital. Um, that isn't where they want her to be. They actually want her to be um, in a lower level of care. Um, so she stays there for nine months. In the nine months, she does not have any physical health issues in the entirety of that nine months. The only thing that happens is they try and get her into physical therapy they try and get her to brush her teeth they try and get her to be able to walk and every time like she talks to her parents she'll say things like it's torture they're hurting me it's awful well for a 12 year old who completely has stopped walking you know doing physical therapy so that your legs don't atrophy will probably feel like torture especially when your parents are trying to tell you that these people are trying to kill you you know, it has got to be confusing and absolutely terrifying for you. So the whole time that this is going on, like I said, the parents are in front of the press. They're saying, I can't believe this happened. We trust these people. And what are they doing? They're trying to take our child from us. This is horrible. It could happen to anybody. And the next thing you know, Anonymous gets involved. So Anonymous gets involved. And Anonymous actually holds Boston Children's Hospital hostage with a ransomware attack, which is absolutely insane because what the rest of the children at Boston Children's Hospital have anything to do with this is ridiculous and truly insane. A judge at that point gives the Pelletiers back custody of Justina. Like, what really could they do? What other choice could they make? So at this point, the Pelletiers sue Boston Children's Hospital for civilly sue them for taking, for filing the 51A and taking Justina. 
this is where they messed up because to that point they absolutely controlled the narrative everybody thought they were the sympathetic family who were just trying to get help for their child until the big bad horrible hospital came in and stuck their nose into their business the reason that boston children's hospital never went into the newspapers and said anything is because they couldn't what people do not know well what most people don't is that under hipaa there is an addendum for mental health care and substance abuse services that has greater protections so because she was receiving mental health care while they were defaming them all over the papers they couldn't say anything because it would have been a violation of justina's hipaa rights so they did what a good hospital, what a reputable hospital would do. They'd rather let their reputation go down the toilet than violate her HIPAA rights. And that is how you know the caliber of the hospital that you are at, because they would rather let themselves take a bath in the media and the press than violate someone's HIPAA rights. So, I'm sorry, but that is exactly how it is supposed to work when it comes to HIPAA. There's no leaks to the media. There's no nothing because you run a tight ship because you don't have a reason for stuff like that to happen. So the trial happens and now HIPAA's out the window and the truth actually comes out. So the first thing that caused them to be concerned at the hospital was the behavior of Lou Pelletier. He was abusive to the staff. He was physically intimidating people. He verbally was abusive to people. He was loud. He was aggressive. And then you do have the diagnosis of the uh, psychosomatic disorder that they were not accepting of. Throughout this whole narrative, they said that they never ever took the time to talk to her original doctors. Well, they have a deposition from her original doctor saying he did actually call the hospital and he did actually talk to the doctors there. So they did talk to him and they did know what her diagnosis was. So they then talk about the fact that they did want to discharge her from the hospital and send her to a different level of care. They wanted to send her to um, a residential treatment program and that they couldn't get her into a residential treatment pro program because her father kept showing up to the programs and intimidating the programs by threatening to sue them all if they took his daughter. So, I mean, this completely changes their image. The public now has started to turn on them when they hear this. They're not these, you know, poor, poor, poor parents who they destroyed their life. You then also have the notes that were given to their daughter where they told her not to cooperate you know like i said this is a girl who she could not walk or brush her teeth and yet the parents are telling her not to cooperate why would you want your daughter not to learn to walk why would you want your daughter to not have independent living skills that makes no sense they're trying to send her to a program that is going to help your daughter learn basic life skills so you wouldn't have to care for her for the rest of her life and you're telling her not to cooperate with that, that, that makes zero sense. So after Justina was out, she started doing therapeutic horseback riding. 
that makes no sense. You can't walk, but you have enough muscle control to control a horse with your feet. And they literally had a neurologist on the stand that said straight up, if she cannot walk, she cannot horseback ride. That 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 makes no sense. But during the trial, they had the original doctor that diagnosed her, the uh, pediatric neurologist. And he said that she was in really bad condition. He said she had a severely altered mental status. Her speech was slurred. She had very unclear articulation. She had pain, headaches, and she could barely walk. Um, he said what stood out the most was that her condition changed from moment to moment. He said she would actually fluctuate while I was doing the exam. For example, she was unable to lift her arm off the bed, but if you distracted her, she would wipe her hair away with the same arm. Peter said that he knew the doctors at Tufts Medical Center thought that she might have mitochondrial disease, which was a chronic condition that affects how the body's cells generate, but the diagnosis had not been confirmed. He ran a battery of neurological tests on Pelletier and couldn't find any underlying medical reasons for her symptoms. I found this to be extremely concerning. Uh, they asked him if they thought that he, if he thought they were, she was faking her symptoms. No, 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 I wasn't dismissing them at all. They're real, they're very real. It means that there are other reasons and those are usually psychological. One possibility he considered was that Pelletier might be suffering some, from somatoform, a medical term for a psychological condition that exacerbates or creates physical symptoms in a patient. Peter said the records he requested from Pelletier's previous doctors, his conversations with those doctors and his own observations caused him to suspect that Pelletier's parents might be playing a role in this. In his medical notes at the time, Peters wrote that some of the doctors who treated Pelletier suspected fictitious disorder by proxy, a form of medical abuse involving excessive medical care or symptoms caused by a parent or guardian. She had multiple diagnoses, a very patchy network of providers. Those are all classic red flags. And there were child protective services involved. There was some form of over-medicalization going on. So yes, back in Connecticut, Tufts filed a 51A against them for suspected over-medicalization. That is what I'm talking about when I say you file with child services even if you think they are going to screen it out so you can create a paper trail for when it hits the fan later like this. It is important. I have worked with people who have refused to file a 51A because they do not believe uh, the, like they don't believe what someone is telling them and then later it has hit the fan and they have gotten in severe trouble because there's no documentation like now it is known that this has been happening and they're, they want to know where is the documentation if you knew this was going on where is the documentation why didn't you call why didn't you report it so that's why it is such a big deal even if you don't think child services will you know screen it in they still got to call and create that paper trail um so she had multiple di so peter said that other doctors told him that pelletier's parents tended to obsess over potential medical problems they took her to many different doctors which increased the likelihood of multiple different diagnoses and medications 
When people have a multitude of medications, it becomes extremely hard to manage, Peters told the jury. It's a feedback loop where every time someone says you're sick, it gets endorsed and validated. Peters began pulling in specialists from all over Boston Children's to coordinate Pelletier's care, as well as some of her former doctors at Tufts Medical Center. They created a treatment plan that they believed would help Pelletier heal. Part of it involved intensive in-hospital psychological treatment and limiting the parents' involvement in managing Pelletier's care. We wanted to demedicalize the situation. We wanted the parents not to encourage that sick role, but rather encourage her about positive things and to be an independent teenager. At first, Peter said that Linda Pelletier, Justina's mother, agreed, but in the morning, something had changed. Dad was on the phone, expressing frustration with our proposal and not wanting any major psychological interventions. I knew from Tufts that there was a pushback on similar in an earlier plan. And, what, and that we were thinking, how can we try and make this productive in the interest of the child? But the next day, Peters got an emergency call. The father was at the front desk trying to urgently discharge Justina. I literally ran. Peters said that he was afraid that if Pelletier left the hospital, she would get worse. At that point, she was not walking and she wasn't eating and she was barely drinking. She had this fluctuating mental status and it was severe. Mom had already indicated to many people that she, she was not able to take care of her daughter at home. Believing that the patient was in danger, Peter said he and other doctors filed the 51A. Um, so to have this man on the stand saying that he was afraid for her life and her well-being, um, that's pretty severe, but also for it to come out that they knew at that time already that um, a 50, uh, 51A had been filed in Connecticut as well. It had been dismissed, but it had been filed as well. Um, it completely changes the story. It completely shows a different side of things. And it's also a very counterindicative to the way it usually is. It's usually mom who is the over-medicalization person, not dad. But, so the trial goes on. I think the biggest things that come out of it is the behavior of dad. Um, that dad is the one that pushes the narrative, the one that dad is the one that pushes this. And the um, Pelletiers lose. They find that um, Boston Children's Hospital uh, didn't do anything wrong. They did everything that they were supposed to do and really then some because given the way that the parents were and the things they said about them in the press and especially the fact that um, Anonymous got involved and launched a denial of service attack on their hospital i think that boston children's hospital behaves in a manner that is beyond becoming of any type of corporation so um the fact that they they won that boston children's hospital won was uh probably the best outcome so justina however when she not long after she went back with her parents she got sicker she started to get sick again she got sicker um she ended up in a wheelchair she never was able to walk again and she ended up having part of her colon removed um so then when she not long after she graduated from high school she had a stroke around that time her parents able to consult a geneticist 
they did some genome sequencing and it was through that genome sequencing that they discovered that she does in fact have a form of mitochondrial disorder it is a kind that would not have shown up on any testing at the time she was admitted to boston children's hospital the only way to have just found it was through this gene sequencing and that's only something that they've been able to do recently like within the past five years so at the time that all this happened no she would not have been able to have been diagnosed with this particular kind of mitochondrial disorder that being said the geneticist that discovered it said he's never that every single one of his patients with mitochondrial disorder have all had some form of somniform disorder so it means everybody was right she, yes she had mitochondrial disorder but yes she had somniform disorder because all people because they go hand in hand because it's a lot of people don't believe that they have any type of physical symptoms so in order to get themselves heard they manifest worse than they are um, is basically how he explains it so everybody was correct but this was exacerbated by the fact that her parents did not allow her to get psychological help had they allowed her to get psychological help it would not have been as bad as it became um, so at the end of the day there really isn't a place where what the parents did was correct they are always going to be in the wrong um, she currently is still working on, uh, she's 21 now, um, she is in a wheelchair and still at this point and um, she is being cared for by her family because she cannot completely live independently. Um, so not a lot has changed actually, <laughs> um, not to sound glib. But, I mean, to me, it's almost like a form of folia do. You believe what your parents tell you, and you share a delusion, and that delusion is that you're sicker than you are in a way. It's kind of sad, but. So, that is this week's story, the story of Justina Pelletier. It is kinds of psychological disorders on top of psychological disorders on type of psychological disorders. Um, next week, we are going to look at the case of a German kidnapping gone wrong, uh, depending on how you look at it. I don't know. Maybe it was the, the bus that got brought in, the extra hostage taker, the time spent with the press, the moving the bus. I don't know. The police blamed the press press blame the police you decide in the meantime i hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people do such awful things <laughs>